The following is a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. There's a hoopball presentation, so check out hoopball on Twitter at hoopballtweets, online hoop-ball.com. Uh, literally preseason underway, NBA season just over two weeks away, as crazy as it is to think about. Uh, fancy basketball is underway right now. So, you know, while I'm cooking up my fantasy team names, y'all could be cooking up a good strategy with the resources that are offered from Hoopball Draft Guide. 360 fantasy pass, all that good stuff. Definitely check it out. Hoop-ball.com on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. One last thing to plug, just if the NBA is back, Manscaped is as well. Definitely make sure to use the promo code HoopBall20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 to get 20% off plus free shipping on your purchase. Again, that's HoopBall20 for 20% off plus free shipping. It's a pretty good deal for me. So definitely check it out make it a good deal for you. All right. All that being said, done, out the way. On this episode of Round Ball Ramble, I am excited. It's long overdue. I am just pumped to have on my friend, fellow podcaster, um, founder uh, of Premium Hoops, writer and podcaster at Indie Cornrows. I mean, I can go on. The man has a Patreon, and he's doing NBA content there alongside music recommendations and um, questionable but interesting food takes. This guy is the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Schindler. You can find him on Twitter. Actually, before I even go plug in where you can find Mark Schindler. Mark, how you doing, man? <laughs> I'm really good, Corbin. Uh, it's been a minute since we've talked, so I'm glad that we can we can hop on here and, and take some time to do it. Um, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to this, man. Um, I, I appreciate You also it, forgot dog scouting reports. I do do dog scouting reports oh, as I well forgot. on Patreon, so, you know, but it's, it, it is what it is. You, you there it is. <laughs> Listen, I try, but you're right. I'll have the link on the Patreon, y'all, um, in the description for the pod, so check that out. I'm on Twitter at M Schindler S C H L I S C H I N D L E R N B A. So M Schindler, check that out. But yeah, man, I mean, it's a lot. Uh, listen, uh, from one guy who loves to consume NBA content uh, and also produces it, it's, it's crazy to see the output of so many different people. And since you're a little closer to home in terms of someone I, you know, interact with on a fair basis, it's like, whoa, okay. But um, I'm excited to have you on, man. I figured, you know, we were going to do a Pacers kind of review for a minute. Um, and as the season started getting close, I was like, you know what? Mark covers the entire NBA. This would be fun to do kind of a superlative-laden uh, division preview and just happen to the division that the Pacers are in so we can kind of go in them a little bit. So we're just kind of going through the central division, um, the round ball ramble way. Like I said, mostly superlatives we've already kind of done at this point um, between Mark's excellent NBA uh, season preview pods all over at Premium Hoops and the ones I've also been doing here on Ramble Ramble. Uh, most teams are covered and will be covered by the time this is done. Um, so this is just a way to kind of look at that. And I'm excited to kind of go into uh, respectively the Bulls, the Pacers, the book, the Bucks, the Cavs and the Pistons. And um, before we even get started, Mark, kind of what, I mean, obviously you watch the Pacers a lot, but like what teams are you like looking at before we kind of get in that you're like, Hey, you know, I was already had an eye on them before the, offseason even started now i'm like excited uh just the entire nba or just central division well i know the entire NBA for you i guess you should get that <laughs> but in this case the central division specifically yeah for the central i am so psyched to watch the Cavs and pistons this year uh i think the bulls are number one for me the bulls are probably going to be one of my top league pass teams just because 
They're very different. They're going to be funky. And it's just cool to see the Bulls be a competitive team for the first time since you and I were in high school. So, like, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm very excited about that. I I do think that some of the criticism has been a little bit too far with the Bulls, and I'm really – you know, not because I want to see my take be right, but I, I, I really want to see them succeed this year because I think, I mean, it's been, what, six years since Chicago's been in the playoffs? So, yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm ready for that to be back. And, I, I mean, dude, De- DeMar looks crisp in, in, in number 11. I know some people were not a big fan of number 11. I think it looks good. I'm just excited for that group um, and for some of the guys who've been on that team for a while. I guess some shine, like Zach. I mean, Zach had a career year last year that kind of got – you know, over overlooked in some ways because he he dealt with health and safety protocols towards the end of the season, and um, the Bulls didn't make the playoffs, so you know they didn't really get the get the same attention. Um, but then with the 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 Pistons and and the Cavs, I mean, in terms of just looking at at teams that are kind of on the come up, I personally like I'm higher on on the Pistons moving forward right now. I, part of that you get Cade Cunningham. But also, I really just enjoyed the Pistons last year. Like, I, I always talked about this with my guys, Lazarus Jackson and James Edwards III, who both cover the uh, the Pistons. And, uh, like, they were the best, worst team I think I've ever watched play basketball. Like, they were just inept enough that they weren't a good basketball team. Mm-hmm. But, like, I also thought they, they really structured things well. They were a very stingy defensive team that fell off a little bit towards the end of the year. But – I mean, you, you had Jeremy Grant's ascension, and of course that um, fell off a little throughout the year too. Part of that is hard to sustain numbers, but also like they progressively got less talented as the season went on and, and they expelled some guys from the roster, um, you know, in, in, in trades and whatnot. Um, I just feel good about where the Pistons are going for the first time since, uh, gosh, like, you know, since before they traded for C-Web. Um, so, wow. you know, we're going a way back yeah. um, before where we're looking at where I feel good about the Pistons. Because even that year when they made the playoffs, when it was uh, not not the Blake Griffin year, but when uh, it was like Dre, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, like yeah, that was a fun team, but they weren't like you didn't feel like they were going to they, they, like they had staying power. This is the first time where I feel very positive about the direction of the Pistons. Um, and I think I would take that a notch back with the Cavs, who I actually forgot to mention. I'll be covering them this year, too, over at Fear the Sword. <laughs> um, and I uh, I like the Cavs young guys and the roster that they have. I'm just not entirely sure. We'll, we'll get more into it. Sorry, I'm getting like way too ahead of myself. Below. Oh, no. <laughs> you can look at that core and say, okay, I can see where they're going. You have a guy on the wing who makes a lot of sense in Isaac Okoro. Um, Darius Garland looked fantastic last year, especially down the stretch. Um, I'm higher on Colin Sexton than most. I think that sometimes we can be a little bit overly critical of volume scores, like scoring 24 points per game on above league average through shooting matters, uh, regardless of some of the other pitfalls. Like that definitely does change, you know, the, you're not looking at Colin Sexton with rose colored glasses to be certain, but like, I do think he's a, a very good player. Um, and then obviously they draft Evan Mobley. So yeah. you, you can look at that core and feel pretty good about where they're going moving forward, but it's a big year for them more so than the Pistons. Cause I think the Cavs are a little bit farther ahead, but yeah, those are the teams I'm really psyched to watch because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm excited to watch the Pacers. I cover that team yeah. and I'm excited to, to watch the Bucks cause they're a fantastic basketball team, but I like watching teams that are, are kind of new blood and seeing, um, you know, how they're going to develop and figure things out because, you know, I'm, I'm just as excited about three or four years from now as I am about this year. That is dope. That's really dope, man. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's interesting, like you said, between a lot of these teams, um, we look at some of the big rookies. I mean, two of the top three 
are in this division, you know, where you do have um, Kate and Evan Mobley as well. Um, my guy, Jalen Green, man, I am pumped to see him, but we'll talk about that another date. Um, yeah. But going in, you kind of touched on this a little bit with the rookie, so I'll kind of put a twist on this. Uh, you know, you mentioned Cade, um, you mentioned Evan Mobley, both who are excited about Cade kind of obviously being the number one guy. So I kind of want to go to Indiana um, with Chris Duarte and, and kind of ask you, um, what is your read on him, how he fits in? Obviously, you know, uh, an experienced college player, um, someone who's probably the most NBA ready, although I don't really buy all into that because just because you play a long time in the college game, I do think there's a difference. I'm definitely a, a – this is rough philosophy. It's not really NBA philosophy. Just my own personal takes. But like, um, when you look at him, I mean, are you looking at him as someone who's going to make an immediate impact now? Is he someone who's going to level in? I mean, already kind of go to a certain level as far as to say rotation level wing. Um, kind of what are your thoughts on him as a rookie? Since we kind of know the most exciting one is Cade. Yeah. So I know, um, the thing that people like to throw out and I agree with for the most part is, you know, you, you don't expect positive impact from a rookie. I do think, Chris Duarte is going to be one of the guys who kind of exceeds that. And not because of age, a lot of people throughout all use this, this, this old, regardless. I mean, I think I look at it more in terms of this guy is more talented and capable now than some of the guys in the draft class might ever be. Like, I think he is going to be a legitimate rotation players first year. I don't know if that means starting. I think he's going to probably start with an around like a 15 to 20 minute per game load, maybe a little bit more, but like, he's not going to be asked to do anything on the ball, or at least he shouldn't be. Maybe he will be with some bench lineups, but he fits in automatically as a probably, I mean, he didn't get talked about enough as being just about the best shooter in the draft. I won't have him quite exactly as the best, but like he can do things off the dribble. He can come off motion um, step backs, which he really showed off at summer league. Um, obviously perfectly good as a catch and shoot player as well, but he's got above the rim athleticism. He's good at finishing. Uh, he's a good cutter. He has size. Um, and he fits in as a, as a quality off-ball defender who has enough size to, to be at least neutral on the ball. Like, I, I think when you look at somebody like – like, even as good as Cade is going to be, he might be a guy who doesn't have positive impact his, his rookie year just because of the mistakes you're going to make as a, as a primary playmaker when you're, what, 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. Um, Chris isn't going to be asked to do that. So I think that's an important delineation to look at. Like, he's – going to be asked to come in and kind of in some ways like the um the front office and coaching staff have talked about him kind of coming in and filling Doug McDermott's role that he had last year playing as like the seventh or eighth man um you know just really opening up some things in the offense with his ability as a shooter um and I think Chris will bring a little bit more on the defensive end as well so yeah I think there's um definitely high expectations for him this year and, and moving forward I think like they they view him as a guy who's going to be a starter eventually um, which definitely makes things interesting in terms of looking at how that's going to shake out in, in two or three years. But for right now, yeah, I, I do think that there's a pretty clear path to him being uh, a solid player this year. Cool. Cool. I was definitely intrigued by him for sure. Um, I know there's a lot of buzz around him as far as coming in just because of O's age and the fit. And you kind of went to that in a really interesting way. So I'm glad to definitely hear that. Um, when it goes back to the other kind of higher profile rookies, we look at mobile, look at um, Cade, we know, obviously kind of, you just said it, Kate's going to have a harder time adjusting, but I think Evan Mobley um, or Kate probably will have a harder time adjusting. But like when you look at Mobley, uh, especially sliding as the four with Jared Allen with that five-year deal, you know, locked in at the five pretty much. I'm sure there'll be minutes where Mobley is playing the five, but how do you think he can kind of maximize, you know, coming at the four, um, not just defensively, but certain matchups where I think he'll be fine as far as length. He definitely doesn't need to bulk up, but also I'm more concerned maybe on the offensive end where like, he's a great passer, but like, terms of shooting like he's adequate but i don't see someone like the 
right now, at least that's like a definite knockdown shooter. And maybe I'm buying too deep in the summer league and a small sample size of college. No, you're right. I would agree with you. I don't think that he's going to be uh, a real shooter this year um, unless, you know, by you know, maybe he starts just taking stuff from the corners like crazy. He takes some stuff from above the breaks. I don't really expect that. Um, J.B. Bickerstaff has, has mentioned that this team needs to shoot more threes this year and he wants to see them shoot more threes, which is interesting to me because a lot of the reason they didn't shoot threes last year was because of his scheme. Uh, part of it, to be fair, like their roster was very – just low on offensive talent last year. Yeah. Uh, so you do give him a little bit of a buy, but I think you're at a point this year where, okay, the offensive talent is at enough of a level where you need to see it be more instead of being 30th in the league. Like that can't happen again, frankly. Um, so I think you, I mean, Jared Allen spoke that he, he, he wants to take more threes this year. Or he's going to take more threes this year. And I, wow. I believe in that he's a good free throw shooter. He took, I think like 50 around 53s mm-hmm. first year with Brooklyn. Um, did not shoot incredibly well, but I believe that he can at least be a guy who takes from, some from the corners. Like he, uh, um, he took some last year with Cleveland, and I think the form's good. Um, I think he's a guy who can do it. But yeah, I, I think it's just going to be weird with Mobley, especially adding in Lowry Markkinen. Like they have guys in the front court. I'm just not sure how all they're going to fit in together because even though they have a lot of guys who play the four and five, they really don't have too many guys who play the three, four. So it makes it a little bit harder lineup versatility wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in some ways, I think it's been a little bit overblown that, that Mobley needs to quote unquote play center right away or something like that. Like, I think it's just more important that he gets high leverage minutes. And I think in some ways it might be good. Uh, and this is just my opinion. I could be wrong, but I, I do like the idea of getting him more looks and reps at the four, just because, all right, you're kind of forcing some creation with his with perimeter skills and, and forcing him to work on them. Not that he wouldn't in general, but like sure. I do think you're kind of asking for more in some ways, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But for right now, I feel I feel pretty fine about how that's looking. But I definitely think, especially in terms of size and physicality, like like you mentioned, the length is awesome. He moves his feet extremely well for somebody his size. I think he can play the four. It'll be interesting to see how it looks offensively. But it's also worth noting, like the Cavs cannot be much worse offensively than they were last year. So I frankly don't, it, 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 you just make do. He's the, the number three overall pick. You're going to figure it out. Um, or hopefully, otherwise somebody else will be figuring it out for Kobe Altman in a year. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm very excited for Evan Mobley. I'm, I'm interested to see what his role looks like. Like I think he's going to have to play real minutes and, um, but yeah, man, it, he's, he's extremely interesting. No, he is. And I guess that leads me to one last question about um, the Cavs. I mean, we'll probably touch on them a little later, so I'll hold it. But in, in terms of coaching, you, you mentioned J.B. Bickerstaff and how it almost seems counter, counterproductive in terms of, oh, we're going to shoot more threes. Well, unless you're, you know, rapidly changing the entire way that you manufacture those shots, no, you won't be. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm I'm not the highest on J.B. Bickerstaff. I just think in terms of I like him. I'm glad he's getting a shot. Um, you know, at least like a, a significant shot. He's been the kind of guy to be on, you know, the interim coach kind of label for a minute now. So I definitely want to see like another year of it coming out. But I do think that, you know, some improvements should be made at least on some of that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Just to cap off on that, like I um, I've never spoken to JB, but like mm-hmm. by all accounts, just awesome guy. The yeah. players really like him and he uh, he has done like I mean, I, th- I think you can look defensively like the. The first 21 games, I believe the team was 10 and 11. That was a team that they, they beat the Nets in that overtime game early on, and they just looked like a cohesive unit for the first time. And then they made the Jared Allen trade, and Andre Drummond uh, 
I think fairly, just given how things went out. I wrote an article about this at the time, but like Andre Drummond kind of checked out after that um, because it was pretty clear. Like they, Kobe Altman made statements saying that that Jerry Allen was their center of the future after Andre had had given their their best had been a big central part of them getting their best stretch of basketball since LeBron had left. It sounds insignificant, but I think you know just I don't agree with everything with how it was handled from either side. Mm-hmm. Um, there were flashes of that team looking promising last year until that happened until they started to deal with some injuries this is the year where we really find out okay is jb bickerstaff the guy who's going to take this team to the next step whatever that is for cleveland um this is the year you find out because there's the, the roster is at a point now where it's good enough that you just are not going to have excuses for them being a bottom 10 offense um they might still be a bottom 10 offense frankly but like you you don't have an excuse for being a bottom five team in the nba anymore in yeah. my opinion I feel that. Yeah. The ceiling's been raised. No, I'm with you for sure. Um, So going from kind of the Cavs specifically to just a general um, offseason kind of recap of the Central Division, there's been a a few moves, of course. I mean, you look at the impact of the draft on on teams like the Pistons or teams like the Cavs. You can look at the Bulls who like me, I think I think you'd agree the most significant kind of revamp around their team without really any <laughs> any draft moves. Um, didn't even have yeah. a draft pick, at least, you know, with theirs going to Orlando, at least that first rounder. Um, um, yeah, they drafted, yeah, Ayo DeSumo in the, in the second round. In the second, yeah, my fault. So, I mean, yeah, no, you're good. Cool. So, you have that going on. Um, what do you think? I mean, Milwaukee kind of cleaned up around the edges, although I do bemoan the loss of Peter Tucker for reasons. I'm not going to lie. I, yeah. I feel this might be, I don't know if I want to call it a hot take because uh, I, you know me, I don't do hot takes. I, I love them. Um, but I know you don't. <laughs> I think uh, I feel better about this, uh, this Milwaukee team than last year's, not in terms of like winning a title or anything like that, but in terms of having meaningful depth, I think this team is a lot better. Like even during the playoffs last year, like getting into the finals, I still felt like they were, they, they, they were missing a consistent eighth man. Like they, they really just lacked a consistent eighth, ninth man throughout the entire year. Part of that is missing Dante DiVincenzo, DiVincenzo in the playoffs, but also like I think they just really lacked that overall. Um, I was not that high on PJ Tucker in the playoffs, frankly. Like, um, not to be unfair, I do think he played real uh, fantastic defensive minutes for stretches, but overall, um, the Bucks were just frankly better when he was off the court offensively. And I think they were, they, they, they did not get enough from him defensively to replicate what he was doing. Um, I mean, to, to replace what they, they, they got without having him on there offensively. So like, frankly, I thought Pat Connaughton outplayed PJ Tucker in some ways. Well, it wasn't necessarily um, something that I think everybody's going to agree with or, or that would necessarily look like it when you see PJ Tucker guarding Kevin Durant, like, all of it is situational. There's scenarios, but I think largely Pat Connaughton playing as well as he did was more important for them than what PJ Tucker did. Um, so I'm not as high on that um, signing for the for the Heat, or I, I wasn't as critical, or I honestly wasn't really critical at all of of the Bucks losing him. You bring in Grayson Allen. I love that trade. I do think Grayson Allen brings in another guy who can be a ball handler for them, capable shooter. He's a quality defender at the point of attack, and uh, um, off the ball as well. Like, I think it, it sounds minimal, but just adding a guy who can play 15 to 20 replacement level or slightly above minutes is going to mean a lot for this team. So I love that move. I think Shemi Ojale kind of provides some of the same stuff as PJ Tucker. 
obviously to a much lower level, like being completely honest there, like Shemi Ojale is not PJ Tucker, but he brings strength and athleticism. He's somebody who we've seen in the regular season get minutes on, on bigger forwards. And while it's not always great, I think it's enough where you can say, okay, it's a look and it's going to make it so, all right, Giannis can still play off the ball and be his most impactful because that's where he is the most impactful. Um, so I loved a lot of the things that they did. Honestly, the biggest thing for them is just what do they get out of Dante DiVincenzo this year? Does he take another step? Because they really need that. And also, not to, I'm sorry if I'm going like way too far in depth already, but like looking at Jordan Nora, I think they needed another guy to kind of establish themselves out of their um, out of their young players. And you know, it's maybe asking a lot for for Jordan Nora to really step up and become like a ninth, tenth man on this team. But I also think, all right, this is what we're hoping for, and they really tried to press the issue with him. I felt um, in the playoffs, uh, not playoffs, geez, in summer league, like really trying to get him looks. Um, their summer league team wasn't awesome though, if we're being completely frank, but like, yes. I think that's the kind of guy that they need. I also, we didn't even mention, like, I think Rodney Hood is a real bounce back candidate this year. I don't know that his scoring numbers are going to be anything crazy, but I think he's going to look a little bit more mobile coming, you know, another year off of having rehab and, um, just being back to normal after that Achilles tear that he had. Um, so I think that it could be a much better situation for him, especially playing off of, you know, freaking Giannis and, and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. So, sorry, I, I like went like all in on that. But. Dude, no, let me tell you, Marley, I appreciate it because it's good how one question, we're kind of getting like a mini team preview from that. Yeah, question. I'm sorry. This it's, is, it's a problem, man. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I'm sitting there going, okay, that's the point. That's the point. All right, here we are. No, but I agree. I was going to say you made an excellent kind of look with Peter Tucker because I was trying to find, and I listened to a few podcasts that have kind of not said, I mean, they, you know, like you said, very hot take. This was a more measured reaction. No disrespect to those pods, but it's like, oh, they're not going to miss him. I'm like, eh, I kind of feel like he was really impactful on Kevin Durant. Now, mind you, outside of that one specific matchup on KD where, you know, KD still did what he's going to do, but it definitely looked a lot harder than if I was to project semi Ozilay in that position. Yeah, It wasn't like he shot well. If you look at his numbers, they did go down the tank, you know, from Houston to the Bucks. I'm sure it was obviously the the, the same shots weren't um, generated the same way. His efficiency definitely fell off to like barely above um, 30% from the corners. It was rough. It was rough. Um, defensively, you're right. But how much can you do that for a guy you want to lock in long-term for at best one or two lockdown, you know, wing matchups. And even then, you again as he ages that's not something that you're like oh that's my guy you know so i get milwaukee being in a spot where they can get you know some internal development like you said as well as having a guy in semi ozoli who at least from a physical um approximation can can perform you know roughly the same type of needs as pj did or can so i definitely agree with you there um looking at uh, aside from them i i really want to get your take on this team because I mean, it's the big one for me. Chicago. I also, I apologize. I forgot yes. to mention George Hill. George Hill was out oh, of the team as George well, Hill, which yes. I think, like, again, it's more – he was solid you, in Philadelphia. Yeah. wasn't quite what they needed. Honestly, yeah. like, they needed more than, than George Hill to fix what their problems were. Um, but I, I like the signing back. So, yeah, sorry to continue. I just – I didn't no, want to forget about that. That's good. I was going to say, you're right. He's someone that I think – he's always been, like, a combo guard. I think when Philadelphia thought he could be, like, the, the cheap panacea – for all of their for all of their needs like you know yeah. that's that's not what they were getting because it's never who he was he's always been like a really good you know combo guard and they wanted to be like a primary playmaker um but yeah i think he'll find a nice beat back in milwaukee i'm, I'm glad for him um i really hope he gets a ring i don't think he has one no he was traded uh, for Kawhi. 
I'm trying to think. Yeah, he was he was yeah. traded in the Kawhi deal. Yeah. Obviously, never won one with Indiana. Went with Cleveland. We man. always forget. Uh, George Hill with the Utah Jazz was, was awesome. Yes. I don't know. People like forget about that. Um, I hate saying people forget, but like legitimately, that was they do. he was, was awesome. Like I think he averaged like 17 points per game or something like that yeah. on the highest efficiency. Um, he he only played like 50 ish games that year because he got mm-hmm. injured, but like he was so good. Um, That's and then he played with the Kings for one year. That was gross. <laughs> That was the buyout year. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he got traded to Cleveland. Um, and they made the finals, but. Yeah, and then he got traded to Milwaukee for Matthew mm-hmm. Delvadova. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I think he got, did he get bought out after that? I can't I think uh, Oklahoma. Or did, did he get traded or bought out? I thought or he did got, his deal just expire? I thought he got traded, but now I'm confused. I think maybe he did get bought out. Let me. It was something. I don't, yeah, I don't but remember. You Actually, already no, went he, down. Didn't, he didn't get bought out. No, he got yeah, tra- okay. You I went down he, a pretty good breakdown. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I try and remember all of them, but <laughs> that's yeah, cool. Go I ahead. was going to say that Jazz team, 2017, 2018, they had a really good George Hill year and a really good Joe Johnson year. Yeah, like, Joe Johnson was like their 10th man. Yeah, and like he had a moment. Remember that game winner in the playoffs against the Clippers? That yeah, float over beyond. I mean, you know, like that was those Jazz teams with Gordon, those last two years. Anyway, what a, what a squad. All right, but looking at another team that just made wholesale changes that I'm very intrigued by, we kind of touched on a little bit, but Chicago. Um, you know, they lose uh, Thad Young, they lose Larry Markkinen, Garrett Temple, Thomas Sadoransky, all in trades. I, I, I want to touch on the fact that I love Thomas Sadoransky, but he gave me the funniest, like, quote of, of offseason, um, which, you know, he got traded, and he's like, hey, you know, like, you got a text, and he's like, listen, after two years of service, you know, you think you, you're you worth more than a text. And on the one hand, I definitely get what you mean. Like, you definitely want to feel valued as an employee. You know, on the other hand, for a second, I was like, oh, yeah, he was on the Bulls. Like, it was the funniest <laughs> thing to me because I was like, I oh, know man. he's not exactly getting a tribute video. But, like, I thought it was interesting, you know, that he brought that up. Um, but, hey, he, he's a guy who I definitely like. And I think he has um, just – he's going to give a good production on, on his current squad now. But looking at who the Bulls brought in um, – you know, they have Alonzo Ball now. They have DeMar DeRozan. They have Alex Crusoe to kind of um, supplement that team that made the trade, of course, for Nikola Vucevic. Uh, you know, the trade deadline, they finished 31-41, a plus lost the pick. So, you know, obviously they want to get Zach Levine locked up to an extension. Um, they're trying to convince Zach Levine that this is a team that he can win around. Uh, and I think that the, these moves are intriguing, and I, I think they offer more defense potentially, more flexibility. Of Alonzo Ball says he's going to play more of a traditional point guard, which, like, I'm sure many people on NBA Twitter have, like, said that's kind of not his role. I tend to agree. Um, what is your, your thoughts on, on, on Chicago? And yeah, DeMar DeRozan looks fresh in, in that, in his, in his red and black. Oh my gosh. But like this team is an interesting squad and with Billy Donovan at the helm, I'm just, I'm, I'm intrigued by how this all happened. Yeah. Um, they're interesting to me because like, they're kind of in that Knicks, uh, Knicks, Boston, um, who else here? Um, well, let me look at my thing. Yeah, I have like they're like Knicks, Boston, and I would probably have the Sixers around there too now, just considering the weirdness with Ben and not knowing yeah. what that's gonna look like. Um, but I also think like Levine, DeRozan, Vooch is a fantastic. I, I think that's the best trio out of the, that group. Like, I would probably be a little bit higher on Boston now, given their offseason went really well. Um, but a lot of it's just gonna come down for me, obviously, with with Pat Will. I believe is missing the first four to six weeks was the reporting um, of, of the NBA season, or he's missing four to six weeks from when he was injured. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's going to miss time. Yeah. So it's especially considering that he's very important to kind of meshing everything together. I'm really interested to see what they do. Cause they, they filled out 
a lot of their rotation after their like seventh or eighth guy with, uh, you know, they, they signed like every, every free agent forward who has any signs of defensive potential and rebounding this sign. So like Stanley Johnson and uh, Alizé Johnson, who I actually think's probably got the leg up there. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens here uh, in terms of how they make things work until Patrick Williams gets back. But like, I just think some of the stuff about their defense uh, potentially being really bad. Like I understand where people are coming from with that, but I also think like, just to counter a lot of the points, like I get number one, DeMar DeRozan is not a good defender and has not been for a while and bordering on being one of the worst defenders in the NBA, if not already one of the worst defenders in the NBA. Um, I do wonder what that looks like in potentially a tamp down offensive role. I don't think that that's going to make a huge difference to be completely frank, but like, I, I just think in the regular season, like Nikola Vucevic is, well, he's not a great rim protector. He is good at being big and in the way. And that sounds reductive, but like that is important. I do think he's good at contesting things, even without having great verticality. Um, there are ways to use him that I think are going to make sense. Um, a lot of it is going to be trying to find lineups where you can stagger some of these guys. And, 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 and the biggest thing is just going to be seeing how they find ways to win in crunch time, because I do think, they have the talent to really win games during the regular season, but it's just going to be, okay, how do you put it together for the last couple of minutes when you need to get stops and you have your best guys on the court? Like that will be funky and something that I want to see play out. But I also just think like we are underselling how good this team could be offensively. Like I think they're definitely a top 10 offensive team for me coming into the end of the year. And I wouldn't be shocked if they're a top five offense if things really click for them. Like wow. I think Nikola Vucevic is a post hub and one of the best shooters in the NBA yeah. uh, at his size, especially like I think you combine that with DeMar's ability to get downhill um, on top of Zach Levine being like just about the best off ball scorer in the NBA, not named Steph Curry. Like yeah. there's a lot to like there. Um, I, I think it's going to be a lot of point to Rosen in my opinion. Like I, I, I am curious to see how things kind of function between him and Zach as primary ball handlers. And I, I imagine they will spend quite a bit of time apart too. Um, but there's just a lot of talent on this team for the first time in a long time. And that matters. And I'm interested. I mean, we didn't even mention um, uh, Lonzo, like Lonzo's going to be very good. I like Alex Caruso, obviously, but um, there's just, there are, there are options here. And I, I think this team has a lot of talent it, seeing how it fits together is going to be, Interesting, but um, where are you at with them right now? Because we, we've not actually talked about the Bulls. Yeah, I think they're an interesting squad. I'm a little less optimistic only because of I, – I just want to see how it all comes together. I think that you do have Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. I love that pairing. I think DeMar DeRozan possibly even – I mean, he played a lot of the four last year with the Spurs. I'd rather see him more of the three, but, like, I see him playing some of the four here as well. I'm not completely sold on that. But, like, it's the four kind of a name only, so I'm okay with that. Um – I just think that you bring in a guy, you're right. The talent they have is undeniable. You know, you look at Vooch in the middle, DeRozan, what he did. I really thought he should have been an all-star last season for San Antonio, especially given where they were, given where they were at the time, his own individual numbers, the team, like the West was tough. And like, he was a tough cut for a lot of people, but I just thought that at some point, you know, like he should have had a shot there for that. Um, but you bring him alongside, it's like, it's all of a sudden, it's not quite, it's, it's a lot more of a fit. In fact, I feel even bad bringing up the three alphas because nowhere near that. But I feel like it's such a quick change on a Bulls team, like one over the other, that it goes from, okay, you went from Vooch and, and Levine, we can kind of build around that. Tonight, Vooch, Levine, DeMar DeRose is going to have the kind of 
uh, reign in his game a little bit, even though he was kind of the primary hub. But we saw what that did to the Spurs. I mean, he was a very good player. He was their crunch time guy, but all of the young guys kind of deferred to him so much. In this in this case, that's not going to be the case because Levine, we've seen him do it. You know, um, Vooch has been that guy for Orlando. So I feel like it's going to be a, a little bit of a process kind of mesh them all together. Um, and then also each one kind of has their own like specific strengths. You know, uh, Levine's probably the best shooter for sure. Well, not probably, he is. Um, Vooch can stretch out there, prefers the post, you know. Um, DeMar DeRozan, nope, you know, he's in the mid-range, going to have to play with the ball a little bit. Definitely not a catch-and-shoot guy. But, like, the talent there is great. I just feel like maybe losing Thad Young was a, probably more of an impact than I think the Bulls probably have, this like, a register at this time. I thought he was tremendous, not only a short role passing and everything, but just defensively being who he was. Uh, I just feel like it's weird because – the Bulls are undeniably better, but like in what ways? I just wonder how long it's going to take for them to mesh all that talent because it's not like a simpatico kind of fit, you know? Yeah, um, it's tough too because I agree. Like losing Thad really hurt, but I still think it was worth it to be completely honest. Okay. Um, I think the idea with them is A, Patrick Williams is going to – like the, the ideal way for Patrick Williams to play this year is in that Thad Young role, and I think – he started to do some of that stuff last year. Like uh, what made Thad so effective is even without being a great floor space to which Pat will has shown more as a shooter already, but like um, he was so good at just like finding openings, finding space and occupying it and, and finding ways to make quick, quick touch passes, like ball reversals, doing things to really loosen up the offense a little bit. Um, you know, finding whenever Thad is like so great at, at finding a quick mismatch. Like if, if he does get a mismatch, within, you know, 10 feet of the rim, like he's going to call for the ball, get a quick hookup, and it's probably going in. Like he was good at being very opportunistic. I think that's what I want to see a lot from Pat Will this year, like just opportunistic cutting, um, doing a lot of stuff in terms of touching the ball, but not necessarily, you know, getting usage out of it. Um, and just being fantastic defensively, which I think we already saw some of that last year as well. Um, but then looking to Derek Jones Jr. is obviously he's not that young, but I do think he's going to bring some of the same qualities. Hopefully, like um, he's got mobility out on the perimeter. He provides stuff as a second side rim protector. Um, I do like what he could do as as a roller in the offense. Like um, I'm interested to see like you could maybe see like, OK, double drag sets with him and uh, Vooch and you have Derek Jones Jr. rolls to the rim and you have Vooch popping like that's a very good two-man action to have going on in terms of like, you know, it, it's going to be, there's a lot of guys who do positive things, but it's a, a lot of it. Is, it's just on Billy Donovan to find ways to make it mesh together. I think would be the way that I put it. Um, again, it's not perfect, but there's just enough there where I'm like, I feel good about it. But again, like we didn't even mention too, Kobe White's going to be out for the first month or two, if <sighs> I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. In some ways I feel like, I don't want to say that that's a good thing for the bulls, but like, um, I'm not super high on Kobe White currently. Like I do think uh, he's somebody who they they kind of need him to really factor in and and be an off ball scorer for them, and of course improve his defense. But um, I don't know. I we didn't even mention Troy Brown Jr. too. Like I they they have guys that I really like. Like Troy Brown's a very good defender, fun as a connective passer. The shot needs to be there for him, but I think um, he's a guy who's going to get playing time early. That's going to really need to step up and, and fill in those roles, but. I just think the talent is there for me. Um, so especially like I, I I don't even worry about the postseason. Like I think especially with where the Bulls are at, they just want to be good. Um, you can worry about the playoffs when you get there to some extent or, or try and shore things up. 
by the trade deadline. Um, you know, like there were trade talks around Patrick Williams uh, earlier this year, and I do think that's something that could be in play still. Um, I, obviously, you, you don't want to trade your your best young player, but also like if there are opportunities you want to see and you, you never know. But um, point being, like this team has the ability to be like a higher ceiling regular season team, um, and that matters. That's true. That's true. Like you said, ultimately, it, this is the most interesting team to me of the division because, yeah, you know, because I don't know what to make of, of them until we see them on court. Exactly. Know? And there's no, you're right. Like the, even the analysis we gave here, I think it was a good deep dive. And it's still, like you said, even Kobe White, we just got to the last minute, which is, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. Like I'm not necessarily like low on him. I just don't like people look at him as like, oh, he's this next guy. No, I think he's like a combo guard and like a scoring combo guard. I look at him more Jordan Clarkson than like, yeah, like Darius Garland, you know, or something like that. I don't think any team's like, oh my gosh, worry about how we're gonna fit around Kobe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there we go. So I'm with you on that end for sure. But yeah, they're they're a team that it, it's like an implied pressure. I don't even feel like there should be pressure to like prove to Levine they can win. I mean, come on. Like at this point, I love Zach Levine, and I think that an extension for him will be important for the team and important for him. Obviously, the fit they want to make happen. But like, I think this was a solid set of moves. I mean, we didn't even go and ask Crusoe like that. Like Alex Crusoe being a guy who. You know, I think his fit with LeBron was amazing, but like I think you look at him and you see what he can do well as far as like playing good defense and the intangibles and and being a guy who can catch you a little bit better, you know, over the couple last couple of years. Like someone's really built himself up. You have an interesting team, uh, definitely a stacked backcourt, and we'll have to remain like it remains to be seen how it was done. I just don't want them to if it doesn't work out. Let's say they're more of a playing team than not. I wouldn't consider the season a failure. You know what I mean? Uh. I would probably consider the season a failure if okay. they're a playing team. Yeah, I mean, considering everything that they gave up to to bring in Vooch, like I'm not that one of the true. people who was like, oh, they gave up a lottery pick for for you know an, an old all star. Like, I think you know, considering they're they're making a, a run to a resign Zach Levine. Like, I think it was the biggest thing for me is just they decided to to go in with Zach Levine, and I think that was a smart thing. Like, I don't think you're necessarily getting a player better than Zach Levine. Um, you know, trying to play in the lottery. Like Zach Levine was an all NBA guy for me last year, just about, um, I think he was just off because of time missed. Um, like I, I, so I do think they have to be a solid playoff team this year. Like my, my hope for them is like between four and six, like I don't want them to be a playing team. And I think they're good enough that they, they, they could get to a stage where they're not in the plan. Um, but ultimately I would say like, considering how much they did, they gave up to trade for DeMar, um and Vooch like they do need to be a solid playoff team to to quote unquote not be a failure I'm not it's less about like what they do in the playoffs like I, I expect them to be a competitive playoff team um but like being in the plan would not be good for them I feel that that's true I didn't even consider that you're right like on the other side of that it's not just like oh the talent they are is what did you give up to have the talent you have now? Mm-hmm. And you're right. Just to do that and barely make it. Yeah. That, that does make a lot of sense. All right. So looking at, I mean, we looked at, I think just kind of the off season for them in general on the bulls specifically. Uh, I guess we can kind of go into best and like most confusing off season moves. Um, I, I don't, you don't have to like have a, if it's a draft pick, you know, or a trade or something like what are these four teams do you think made the most like, beneficial move to themselves and and one who you think probably was like eh, that was at best questionable oh man that's a good question um mm-hmm. most confusing move of the off season i feel like yeah it's it, this was interesting to me because i couldn't really i feel like all these teams were kind of solid on that you know i, I guess i'll put up pj tucker because i just thought that they could have just had him but i, I definitely want to get your take on it 
or on the on the question. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really have anybody who I would say I'm I'm ultra confused on. Like I didn't hate any of the moves these teams made. If we're being completely honest, like yeah, I think the biggest confusing one for me is actually moves that weren't made, and that's looking at the Indiana Pacers. Um, I do Talk think about- it was a mistake to not split up Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis yet. Mm. Um, they and I, I understand. Uh, you know, the front office stance has been that they want to see this group healthy, which already is is not going to happen this season, it seems like. Um, Karis Levert has a stress fraction in his back, is expected back for the first game of the regular season. Um, TJ Warren was, you know, they quoted on Media Day last Monday as weeks, not months, hopefully, uh, for when he would be back. I just, A, I, I question whether or not this core is ever going to be fully healthy together. It's already hard to bank on that, but also this team thrives on, um, you know, trying to buy on the margins and bringing guys who have had injury concerns because they have a really great training staff, but at the same time, you can't fix everything. Um, but also it's just frustrating to me because, um, you know, the front office and Rick Carlisle, frankly, have not gave ringing endorsements to, uh, in, in regards to to Domas and Miles, they've spoken more on that as being a challenge rather than being something that they view as a positive or something that can be different. Like, you know, even if you don't think it is a positive to have two bigs on your roster, um, which again, I think you can you can try and find merits to having two guys like that and finding ways to make them work. Um, but more importantly to me is just like the message you send by not giving full confidence in what you have and, and continuing to talk about how, you know, there are, there are ways that you could reshape the roster. Like I, I find fault with that. Like, I think if you're not going to be able to come into this year after how long we have seen them play together um, and not have like a decent amount of confidence in them, then just break it up. Like, I, I, I don't care. Um, like, I, I think to an extent, obviously you want to get the right trade value back. And I'm sure that's part of this. But also, I just don't think that you can go into a regular season like that continuing continually, like questioning whether or not this group is good enough together. Um, and I just find fault with that. Like, I think if you're going to to be quote unquote all in on something or trying to do something, like this team just feels like um, they don't quite know their own direction. And that it's not like I think that's the worst thing ever. But for a team that has been in the same position for about three straight years now. I think that's a problem. Um, and I, I don't like that they're going in like this. I think they should have made a trade over the offseason. Obviously, something could still happen. Um, maybe something happens early. They traded Victor Oladipo 11 games in last year, which was earlier than I thought it would happen. Um, and obviously, they got back Harris LeVert, which I think was a really good get back, all things considered. Um, but again, I just think it's it's it feels more if – uh, I mean, it feels a lot more when than if in terms of one of them being traded. And I, I mean, it'll probably be Miles, frankly, because he's the one who's always shopped. But that was my really long rant and soliloquy saying I do think the Pacers kind of sat on their hands a little bit. And I think if this team was fully healthy coming into the year, maybe you feel OK with them saying, oh, our big free agent get is Rick Carlisle. OK, cool. Rick is a much better coach than who you just had last year. Yeah, He's frankly a better coach than Nate McMillan. He's proved it at the highest level, even though I still think Nate McMillan um, is a better coach than he got credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think you look at this, and they've even spoken as well. Like they signed Tory Craig, great. I like Tory Craig; he's a, a fun rotation guy. But also, like they spoke on, they knew T.J. Warren was going to miss time in the regular season, and a big reason they went out and signed Tory Craig was because of that. 
And I think I look at that too. And I'm like, okay, well, this provides even more of a reason to pivot as an organization and say, we're not, obviously we're not rebuilding, but we want to try and trade one of the bigs and make this team make a little bit more sense to us. But again, you know, it's uh, they, I'm very interested to see what they do this year. For sure. I, I mean, I want to follow up on, I'm glad we kind of went, you went into them a little bit, but when you look at, um, you know, Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis, personally, do you, who would you rather keep? I mean, I feel like Miles kind of gets a short in this day because Sabonis has been just so gifted offensively or so talented offensively for them and an all-star and everything. But like, I feel like I, I'm just intrigued. Is that, is that kind of where you are as well with it? Like Turner should be the one to go. Do you think that'd be easier to kind of have a different team around Turner and have him just not have to be the guy to play through and that his talents may kind of lend more to a team that is more, um homogenous i'm just i'm just curious yeah um my answer for it always is that i think you keep whoever makes the most sense like and it's not a perfect answer but like mm-hmm. um like obviously i think it's it's pretty easy to say that domas is the more talented of the two um but also like i don't always think that equates to having the best team, like, okay, let's say if you can get more back for trading Domas and it makes more sense for your roster, then I do that. If it makes more sense to trade miles for what your team looks like after, then you do that. Like, I think it's all about what solidifies you the most as a team moving forward. Um, A lot of people look at this team and think of it in terms of like Domas having this high usage and he does have a high ish usage, but also I think um, he's very similar in some ways to the way that we look at Bam out of bio a guy who like, well, he does control a lot of the offense. It's more through quick touches, um, you know, hubbing things for, for guys on the team. And it matters because the Pacers really do not have a primary creator. And that that's not like the death of a team, but like um, when you have somebody like Domas, who can buffer uh, defenses for, for a guy and like maybe get somebody an extra half step of separation that matters a lot. And miles cannot replicate that offensively. Um, But then again, you look at it defensively. I do think people have been a little bit too critical of Domas defensively. The metrics are really harsh to him, but also, okay, he was asked to chase out on the perimeter last year, and that was fucking stupid. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your (laughs) pod. You are fine. You are um, fine. (laughs) Like, you have to take things into context. Uh, We've seen Domas be like a neutral to slightly below average defender for about three years of his career playing next to miles even. So I do think some of the talk with him has been disingenuous and same thing with miles. Like I think people are way too critical of his offense last He's, he's more than just a floor spacer. Last year, he, he, he really put together um, the ability to drive. He had the most efficient season of his career at the rim. Um, I believe he shot around 72 or 73% at the rim, oh, wow. which is fantastic. Yeah. A lot of that was coming off of cuts. Also, he just improved his finishing overall. He's still not a great post-up player. I don't care. Like, I think that stuff gets way overblown and we just nitpick way too constantly with things. If he had been healthy, um, if he hadn't missed the rest of the year, uh, I mean, a big chunk of last year with the toe injury, he would have probably been second team all defense for me. Um, Like he was that good. Um, I just think like people and I I don't like just like creating straw men, but like they're like this, this team always gets nitpicked for the big men. And I think a lot of times it should go towards the front offices instead of the guys themselves. Like they are both very talented individuals. I would have both of them in the top 50. Like I think miles is a top 50 player at this point. His offense hit a neutral point for the first time in his career last year. Um, and that matters. Like he is feel really improved. Um, again, this is where it comes down to like, it's hard to um, 
you know, to, to say who or sh- who should or shouldn't be traded because they're both so, so important to what the team does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also just begs the question, all right, well, does it like that? That's what makes it so hard to, to, to envision a trade in some ways. Cause it's not cookie cutter. Like I think um, as much as people want to say, well, if you had a true four next to Domas, then, you know, it would be better. I'm like, yeah. Okay. If you have like, Christian Wood or somebody next to next to Domas, maybe, and I wouldn't even consider Christian Wood a true four. Like, no. or if you have uh, who's like a four, like if you have Jeremy Grant next to Domas, maybe yeah, that yeah. makes more sense. I, I get that, but also like he's not the rim protector Miles is, and that matters a lot for a team that that just lacks rim protection overall. Um, obviously, he's a better shooter. He can do more offensively. He established himself as a near all star last year, but again, like you do miss out on things. Like it's not simple. Um, so I do think like. My, my long – sorry, this is a very long answer, but, like, my way of looking at it is the – Miles and Domas are good enough together, and they've proven that. The numbers would back that up. They can be a competent to above-average uh, playoff team in the regular season. It's just when they have to play against teams that can go five out or they play against way more talented teams like the Milwaukee Bucks that they really do struggle. And I think in some ways that's less on them and more on the, the rest of the roster – and how the coaching has been. Um, ultimately, this the, the whole Turbonus thing is just a, a thing with the front office and, and roster construction overall. So that's a really long-winded answer, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at with it right now. Oh no, I, I thank you. I think it kind of signifies the complexity of that between the two and why it is so hard to evaluate. You know, it's not a perfect science. To, oh, you know, ship out Sabonis. Oh, you know, it's time for turn to go. Like, there's a lot to it. So I appreciate you kind of giving it mm-hmm. that kind of depth of an answer. Um, I want to put these two together. I do appreciate your time here, Mark, and thank you again. But um, in terms of not only the squads uh, here in this division, uh, which squad do you think kind of has the best long-term outlook? And we can also use that to kind of go into the kind of our last question of the preview here, which is uh, where do you kind of look at the top and bottom of the division? Oh, wow. So best team – uh outlook like like, for, t- like yeah you look and you go okay the pistons with how they construct you know you already have um k cunningham i think killing hayes will be a top five point guard in six years i don't but you know what i mean um i think <laughs> i would go personally i think it's the bucks still you, you okay. have Giannis is to me the best player in basketball um i know a lot of people would say kevin durant he's right up there for me too like it switches on the day but like i do think it's been Giannis. he's proved it um like I just don't think you can you can argue with that. Like they 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 have the ability to retool the team around a player who's committed to be there. Um, as good as Detroit could be in a couple of years, we know how good Milwaukee already is and and will be as long as Giannis is there. Um, so I would have them there second. Um, or so just looking at uh, let's say outcome for this year, um, I think I would have the Bulls and then the Pacers personally um, because. I've gotten lower on the Pacers a little bit. Part of that might be my own skepticism. Like, I think you can you can make cases that one of them could leapfrog one another. Um, they're both in that same tier for me, but I do I am a little bit lower on the Pacers just with TJ Warren's injury and and the unsureness of what's going on with Karis LeVert. Um, like, I think that that's a fair criticism. Yeah. Uh, and then it's the Cavs, and then the then the Pistons. I do think that uh, the the Cavs have a legitimate shot to be a playing team this year if things really go well for them. I think they'll at least be in the mix of like that ten seed area. Um, and I think that I mean they've they've said that they want to fight for the playoffs this year. Um, 
And then obviously, I mean, I think the Pistons will be competitive, but I don't think they're obviously not going to be great. But I actually, I don't, I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the in the in the East. Which is, it sounds, I mean, compared to last year, that that is an upgrade, frankly. So yeah, that's pretty yeah. fair. Well, that's a, thank you. No, I appreciate that. That's a really good look. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued more specifically in the immediate term, like you said, by the Bucks. I think that you're right. They do set themselves up for success uh, long term. So it is something. Um, I mean, you have Giannis, and he's not even. I, do which would you even say right now? The Giannis is in his prime. That's that's a better question. I mean, yeah, I think I'd say he's in his prime. Like he's getting better still. Like we saw him get better in the playoffs, even like. Um, or I wouldn't even necessarily say that I think he got better in the playoffs, but like just he proved himself even more in the playoffs. And I do think I don't want to say the playoffs can be overblown. Like they're they're important, but like we saw him do it. Um, part of that was the Bucks getting him utilized better, but also like just you saw him become a legitimately good post-up player um, as late in the season and into the playoffs went on. That was a big development for him last year. And I want to see it even more this year, become more consistent. Um, like, I think we really saw that to an extent in the net series. Um, and in, even in Atlanta too, like he got really good at the posting and, and reposting um, to like really gain advantages and, and find ways to go baseline and face up um, and drive. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, he's he's in his prime, but, like, he's just so good. He's going to keep getting better um, to an extent. Like, you know, he's the guy who's always working on his game, so we'll see. But That yeah. is true. That is true. Well, thank you, Mark. I want to say this has been really kind of fun. Um, definitely it's been very fun. I appreciate it, man. The analysis I got from you, this is why you're one of the best out there, man. Listen, before I let you go on this, I got to ask, first-time guests have to do this. Um, I've, I'm actually intrigued by yours. I, I just am. Well, I asked folks who are their top five favorite players. And I've gotten so many different responses. Um, I will say there's no rules. I've had people come with first team, second team, third team. I've had people come all WNBA players. I've had a mix of the two. I've just, you know, the top five best. Um, when I entered, when I had, um, who is it? Was it Matt Brooks? Yeah. Um, his top five, I think, were all Timberwolves because he was a Timberwolves fan before. Um, I think it was all, all the, yeah, all, I think it was all five Timberwolves and like, you know, whatever team you want. I know mine is wacky. I have um, Russell Westbrook, Monte Ellis, Latrell Sprewell, Michael Beasley, and Terry Rozier. So like, you can tell. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> wow. That is a squad. Um, exactly. Wow. <laughs> okay. Jack. So I'll do, I think my five favorite players of all time. This is tough. Um, yeah. Well, I'll rip off the Band-Aid real quick for easy ones. Gary Payton is on that team for sure. Okay. I love the Sonics. Um, love it. I've always said uh, that unless I'm like a national writer by that point, because I really want to be a national writer. That's my hope. Um, it's going to happen. Like, uh, I appreciate that. Mm. Uh, like, if, I, if I'm not by this point, like, if, if, the, if the Seattle Sonics come back before I am a national writer, um, I will go cover the Sonics. I will move to Seattle and go cover the Sonics because I, <laughs> I love – a, I love the city of Seattle, and B, I love the Sonics. So Gary Payton is up there for me. I don't think I'd say he's my favorite overall. Uh, Danny Granger is on that team for sure. Oh, I like um, it. I love Danny Granger. Um, I would also have Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay is on that team. I loved watching Rudy Gay for forever, man. He's one of my favorite players of all time. <laughs> um, Paul George is on that team because he's the reason I got into basketball. That's um, cool. I feel like I have to finish with a big man. Uh, oh, Alonzo Mourning, too. I love Alonzo Mourning. Wow, um, okay. I think he's a guy, like, we don't talk about him enough because he was drafted right after Shaq, but he's a Hall of Fame player. I believe he was three or four-time 
defensive player of the year mm-hmm. had his career really uh, kind of hindered and cut short because of kidney failure. Um, so we had to get, a, I mean, like he had to get a kidney transplant um, in the middle of his career. It was like mid to late prime. He was like just about 30 already, but, yeah. um, and so he dealt with injuries and stuff too, but he was just a fantastic player overall on some like absolutely fantastic Miami heat teams. Like they never quite got there um, in terms of where they were, but in terms of being really good regular season teams, like you had the, like, I've never been a big Tim Hardaway fan. Um, <laughs> he was a good player, uh-huh. but like, there's some stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. He was he was For awesome sure. with Miami. Uh, I mean, you have that that team's like I think Vashon Land Vashon Leonard's on that team. It's Jamal Mashburn, who I would also have. I think Jamal Ma- Mashburn love would be like my sixth man. I love Jamal Mashburn. Okay, he will be um, mine too. Actually, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned. Uh, and then they have. I mean, who else is on that team? Yeah, uh, so PJ Brown, like yeah. that team was so good, and they had really good jerseys, and like, yeah, they just never quite got there. But really fun games to go back and watch them play. Like they played a good brand of basketball. They did. Any Knicks games, classic, low scoring, full of grit, tough. I like the actual That's a way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the nine nine two thousand ones for me were fun because both teams were like. They were kind of transcending. I mean, the Knicks are kind of becoming the Knicks that I don't want to say the Knicks we know today. The Knicks have turned a corner, but they were kind of beginning the descent. Ewing was on the way out. Miami mm-hmm. was just realizing, okay, our guys getting older. Like, we're, it, this is our window right now. And the type of games in 99 2000 were so tense, man. And but the trash, it was like you said, prime basketball. Uh, and I use the word gritty because I'm definitely a, a fan of the higher scoring ball, but I can appreciate a, a good uh, 79 76 thriller. So. I'm with you there. But uh, Mark, it's been fun. Thank you again for coming on. And and first, we got to have you on again. So letting that just be known. It took too long here the first time. But also, between everything you're doing, like, let people know where they can find you. They don't know where you are already. I mean, between the food takes and the NBA content, it'd be hard pressed. But just give it to us one more time. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MSchindlerNBA. I do work over at Premium Hoops, uh, Indie Cornrows, Fear the Sword, and also over on my Patreon as well. And if you do have the uh, the inkling to go and support me, I have a link to that on my Twitter. Um, anything's appreciated. I'm still trying to find full-time work in basketball and make that work because I just graduated from college a couple months ago. But, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate me you having me on. This was a blast. Oh, thanks a lot, man. It really was. Definitely make sure to check him out again, MSchindlerNBA. Uh, I'll have the link and Patreon, all that in the description of the pod. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Check out HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBall. Tweets online, hoop-ball.com. Get your Manscaped code, 20% off, plus free shipping. Really simple, HoopBall20. That is it, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0. That's all, HoopBall20. All right, listen, y'all, for Mark, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all say Frosty, and I will talk to y'all real, real soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.